0: Hey, this is Kenny. Welcome or welcome back to our midweek podcast of Crossroads. Very excited about the direction God has led us for the past several weeks, but I feel like it's time for us to move on. He's closing the door on this. Uh, And tonight we'll have our final message on being a rebel. Um, I think each one of us has a little bit of rebel in us. There are things that we want to do to go against the flow. Uh, And when it comes to our life in Christ, that's something we really need to consider. Uh, The world's telling us one thing. Uh, We need to move in a different direction. But a lot of times it's difficult for us to do that because we are so socially aware. Uh, Of course, we live in the Instagram world, and we want to make sure that everyone sees our best, but uh, a lot of times in becoming our best, we walk away from the direction we need to go. We start conforming and not rebelling. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be looking, or excuse me, during this podcast, don't know when you're listening to it, but this podcast, uh, we're looking at one of the greatest rebels that there's been, and talk about a social outcast. Imagine if you would... A phone ringing, of course, but imagine if you would, that you are building an ark in your front yard. Well, this is what Noah dealt with. So uh, welcome to our final message in this series of uh, Rebel, and we're glad that you're here with us. As always, welcome to Crossroads. All right, folks, give me a little bit of your time. We'll get you out of here very shortly. As we enter last study in this series, um, I, I've been really torn because I, there's so much more I want to say about being a rebel. And I know that God uh, has spoken through this time. Uh, If he's not spoken to you at all, he's been speaking to me. So uh, thank you for being here. Um, But as we are, would you put our next slide up, Brian? I just like having that little rebel thing just because it confuses people. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be looking at probably one of the biggest rebels in the Bible. And I'm very excited about that. But before we do that, I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at ourselves. Not physically looking at ourselves. That's silly. But I want you to just think about something for a moment where you are socially, and this is not, oh, here comes the preacher going, you should be more concerned about God than social, yes, okay, so you already think that, so now I don't have to say it, but what I want you to understand is there's different social groups, there's different levels in people's eyes of what a social person is, so I want you to think about where you are, you might feel like you're on top of the mountain, you might feel like you're just one of these people that's just kind of blended into the crowd, you might not think that you're even on the scale yet, but what I want you to do in your groups for about two minutes I want you to have a discussion, and I want you to think about what can a teenager do to become a social elite person, meaning that everybody looks to them to be the social person. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to think about what it takes for a teenager to lose every bit of their social credibility, everything that would just fall from grace. So on the count of three, I want you to start. Three. All right, folks, that's about two minutes. So we're going to get started, and what I want to hear first is from your different groups, I want you to hear, what is it that a teenager can do to become socially number one? We'll start with this table right here that's eating sour things. By the way, I had one of those sour things the other day. Oh, ha! Ah, can't do sour. I forgot. Everybody listening? So like, go up, it's said to, like, be open to different groups of people, like, this kind of See, you're so much more mature than me, because I was thinking, like, win American Idol, Become a billionaire. Um, you know, those kind of things. Folks are like, yeah. So, and right now the other groups are going, yeah, that's good, American Idol. So Okay, so be open to other groups. We'll go back to that table. Have nice things. Miss nice Sarah Kay said, have Snapchat. Excuse me, that was not all the I like I like the fact that you get Snapchat. Okay. What about this table? Being nice. Being nice. Being nice? This non table. That was, ours. That was yours? <laughs> yeah, what what they said. Have a good Our fishing table. Have a good attitude. Good attitude? Okay. Um, um I'm gonna go to different groups of people. Different groups of people? Talk oh, to everybody. Talk to everybody. Oh yeah. Be famous. <laughs> <laughs> Be part of the newest trend? Do you have one? Yeah. Okay. What about our adults? What, What for an adult, would make you sociably, whoo, number one? I was thinking of a teenager. Okay. Well, tell me as a teenager then. We didn't have snacks. I would say. We didn't have electricity, so they think that they would have to please everybody okay pleasing everybody now what would make you fall from grace we'll go in reverse order louder as little as a rumor as little as a rumor everybody listen (laughs) rebellion are you the spokesperson Uh, uh um five just trying to exclude yourself from everybody Okay. Fishing? About the same? Same thing. Same thing? Being mean and like not liking anybody. Being mean. Leaving people out. Leaving people out? Not having Snapchat. Not having Snapchat. (laughs) (laughs) Doing something really, really stupid. Okay. Alright, whoa, 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 everybody listen, everybody, but listen. I need an example of something that's really, really stupid. Hmm. Like something stupid that hurts your reputation. Okay. That's not really an example. I was going to say, you gave me a better definition of what you just said. I, I want an example. All <clears throat> right. <laughs> okay. Um, distancing yourself and like, staying home not out much. Again, y'all are a lot more mature than me because I was thinking, like, if you threw up on people in class, <laughs> that, would, that would definitely be excluded from, you know. You got one? Everybody listen. Everybody listen. Um, Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 6. One of the things that we find is that there's something inside of us that wants to be accepted. That's what being a social person boils down to, our desire to be accepted. I don't think anyone is born intentionally wanting to not be a part of a group. Now, there are times that we find ourselves not wanting to be parts of certain groups, but as a general purpose, we want to be part of what's going on. We don't want to be left out. We all have that fear of missing out, the FOMO in our life, that we're afraid we're going to miss out on something. So a lot of times we find ourselves in social circles just because we want to be included. And I don't think that there's anything terribly wrong about that, but there are times when that becomes our sole purpose in everything that we do is just to make sure that we're accepted. There are a lot of things that we find ourselves socially Getting involved with so we will be accepted, whether it's the latest phone, whether it's the newest clothes, uh, whether it's a newer hairstyle. Um, I remember in the locker room a year ago, there was one of the football players that came in and he was singing some country song. Now, you know me and country music, I know everything about country music, not at all. And he was just singing, and everybody was laughing, patting him on the back, and I said, So. You like that song? He said, oh, man, it came out yesterday. And I said, you already know it? He said, man, I heard people talking about it. and I had to go listen to it. When I listened to it, I downloaded Next thing I know, I'm just staying up all night memorizing the song. He stayed up all night to memorize a song. And I said, why would you do that? He said, well, I don't know. But he made sure that everybody knew that he had memorized that song. He would just walk up and start singing it to people, and they're all like, yeah, oh, yeah, I love that song. Socially accepted. Uh, if someone comes in with a certain kind of clothing, before long, after someone hears, oh I like those shoes, I like those shoes, I like those shoes. Before long, you not only want those shoes shoes, you need those shoes. We find ourselves wanting to be accepted, so a lot of times we will do what it takes. Um, <coughs> excuse me, when I was in school, I don't know. Do people still do highlights in their hair? I do. You do? Okay. I'm thinking okay. About it. Okay. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know enough about trends now. Uh, I do know that a former student of mine who is now a youth pastor at First Baptist Thorsby, and his name is Justin Caton, used to get his hair highlight... High, highlighted? highlighted. He would get it dyed. And he came in one day, and his girlfriend was my intern, and he came in. I said, what you been doing, J-Love? That's what I called him. And he was like, oh, I just had to go get my hair done. I said, really, did you get a cut? He said, no, they were just putting highlights in it. And I went, well... well. What? He said, "Yeah, I get highlights." And I said, "Does your dad know that?" And my phone just said, "Highlights." It's probably gonna <laughs> Siri, shut up. <laughs> oh my gosh, sorry. Uh, and I said, "Does your dad know you get highlights?" He said, "Well, he dies his." And I was like, "What is this world we live?" In? I never knew that guys did that, but he would dye his hair. And when I was in school, people would dye their hair. When I was in school, the cool thing was the mullet. It wasn't called a mullet then. It was called a bi-level, and even the guys did it. It was long in the back, and the guys would get a permanent in the back of their hair so it would be curly. Yeah, as weird as that is, that was a cool thing to do. And I remember the first guy to do it was a starting quarterback at Jemison. His name is Merritt Bowden. Went on to play pro baseball. He's a coach in Canada, coach Canadian football, one of the best athletes I've ever known. And I never will forget the first time he was trying to get it done. He told his mom, he says, I want a permanent. And she did his whole head, his whole hair. I mean, it was just like a poodle. And we laughed at him and laughed at him and laughed at him. And finally, he got it all straightened out, and he had the cool hair. Before long, everybody started doing it. We had one player on the football team who says, hey, y'all know Brian Bosworth? And everyone's like, yeah, we know Brian. He was a football player at Oklahoma. He shaved the side of his head and put lines in it, like he would get a razor and shave lines in the side, not his skull, but like in his hair. It's cut real tight. Our whole football team did it because one person said, I want to do it. And everybody's like, yeah, he's cool. Well, let's all do it. We do whatever it takes to be socially accepted. And again, that's not a terrible thing, but it's not necessarily the best thing. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, it says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. You can do anything. One of the, the most amazing things that God created when he created you is he placed the seed of choice within your body. You have the right to choose to do whatever you want to do. If you want to grow up and be a drug addict living under a bridge somewhere, you can do that. If you want to grow up and be a successful business person, you can do that. If you want to grow up and become a youth pastor, don't do that. But you can do that. You can do anything, but you have to make that choice. And when our choice is based on what someone else thinks we should be doing, if our choice is based on what should be popular, then we've got to find a way to decide what we need to be doing for ourselves. Yes, ma'am if you want to be a YouTuber, you can do that. You could do that. Absolutely I want to right. Be a YouTuber one day. We'll do it. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. We're going to be looking tonight at probably one of the greatest rebels that there was in the Old Testament. And a lot of times in youth ministry, we talk a lot of New Testament. I love the whole Bible because it's God's holy word. But tonight, we're going to be looking at Noah. Somebody tell me something about Noah. He built an ark. He is pretty tough. Pretty tough. I agree with that. He built an ark. Uh, and that's one of the coolest stories. Now, we're going to learn a little bit about Noah. The thing is, is you don't know a whole lot about his backstory. But we're going to start and we're just going to read a little bit about Noah. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 6. It says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of his thoughts and his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created off the face of the earth. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we find that there is one person that God has seen throughout all of his creation that has found favor. And that's a huge statement, and we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. But I want you to imagine a place that is so horrible to God's choice is to destroy it. Now, I don't know if you ever watch the news. I don't know if you listen to what's going on in the world, but we live in a world that's bad. There's a lot of bad that goes on in the world. Unfortunately, the only thing media is going to show you is the bad things. There's a lot of good that happens in the world, too. But to live in a place where God looks down at creation and says that I am grieved over what I've created. That's a huge statement. And his choice of the way to resolve this is just to destroy everything. But it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Continuing, says Noah was a righteous man, blameless among all the people of his time. And he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch on the inside and the out. And this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath and life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, two of every kind of animal and every creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food there is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And it says Noah did everything just as God commanded. Now, for those of you that have grown up in church, you've heard the story of Noah, and you've probably asked the, the tough questions, and, and one of the things that, that I have wrestled with time and time again is why did he keep mosquitoes? Why did he keep snakes? There are certain animals that I don't think should have been able to make it through the flood. But there's a purpose behind God creating this time. And I want you to understand that as we look at where Noah is in life, it says that he's uh, 425 to 445 years old. Does that mean our kind of years? I have no idea. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Y'all can do the research on that. But he's not a young person. It's not just the first thing that he did in his life. He had a life. He lived in a community. And you can imagine at some point in that community, he worked with men in the village. They probably built tents at some point. They might have helped build houses at some point. They probably farmed together at some point. Their kids would get together and play. Their wives would get together and do things. They had a community, and it it was a community where everyone did things together. So he was in a group of people. And then all of a sudden, life changed. And he started building an ark. Now, this is something no one had ever seen before. Of course, they knew what a a boat was. They they understood these things, but they didn't understand what an ark was. And it doesn't say in the Bible that people would come by and ask him, but I have to think that if in your school your friends know where you live and all of a sudden they come by one day and there's this huge wooden structure in your front yard, there are going to be questions. They've got to start asking. So uh, what, what you doing, Noah? You know, we got together to watch Monday Night Football, and you weren't there. I don't know that they had Monday Night Football back then. I was real young. I can't remember. But as they were together, they had to ask, what's going on? And I'm sure he didn't just go, oh, nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure he explained to him what he was doing doesn't say in the Bible that he does, but let's put ourselves in those situations. Someone that you had been with, someone that you had hung out with, someone that you had worked with, all of a sudden they disappear for a couple of days and you go to see and there's this cypress stack of wood everywhere. And he starts forming it into something. They had to start asking the questions. And you can imagine what must have been going through their mind if he was giving them the answer. Well, I was sitting there the other night, we were eating some turnip greens because I like turnip greens. Probably didn't say that, but that's my, my, my version of it. And as I'm sitting there eating, God started speaking to me. And God told me that he was going to destroy the world. And I'm supposed to build an ark. But I've asked the tough questions. How did he get all the animals? It says right there in God's word that the animals would come to him. Well, how did the penguins get to him? How did the dogs get to him? What about a kitty cat? I don't know. I have no idea. I have a theory. Y'all know about the continental drift, right? You get all the continents, they, they look like a puzzle. Maybe they're all hanging out in one little location. And then when the rain happened, it started spreading them apart. I don't know. That's just my weird theory. I got hit a lot in the head playing football. So that could be completely wrong. And I'm fine with that because God's big enough to do what he wants to do. If he wanted snakes to get on there, what about unicorns? I don't know. Unicorns in the Bible, it didn't make it to the ark. I'm sorry. I don't know. I can't explain it to you. But I can tell you that what God wanted to happen happened because he said that Noah did everything God said. Noah did everything God said. Here's the three little things I want you to get from this real quick talk about being a rebel. Again, I said earlier, I think there's a little rebel in all of us. But there's something else inside of us called fear. And our fear of not being a part of what everyone else is. I have to believe that at some point Noah was made fun of. Because he was doing what, what God had told him to do. But what, what I want you to understand is in verse 8, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Mm, let's see. Yes, in verse 8, it says, But Noah had found favor in the eyes of the Lord, meaning God had been watching him, God had been looking at all his creation. And I don't think that he was sitting there with a checklist of, well, Kenny's no good, Brian's no good, Brody's no good. Oh, there's Noah. Noah's good. I don't think it was like that. I think he was genuinely watching over his creation. And he saw that there was some good left in the world. It says that Noah found favor, not because he was going along with the crowd, but because he was serving God. I find that. And then the next thing we see in verse 13, says, God said to Noah, the Lord spoke to Noah. What I want you to get in that is he didn't tell everyone else around. He just spoke to Noah. He didn't even tell Noah's family. He just spoke to Noah. When God puts something on your heart, don't expect everyone else to understand it. Because God's spoken to you and not everyone else. I'm reading a book now. Uh, some of you caught me earlier reading. I'm sorry. I don't normally do that. But I'm, I'm reading this book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. And he's talking about, he was the pastor of this mega church in California. It's a church that he and his wife started in their house. And after a couple of years, it, it had grown so much in their house that they started renting a middle school cafeteria or auditorium. And then before long they went from there into a building. And before that, uh, before long after that, it had grown to where they were doing two services on Saturday night, three services on Sunday, and they knew they needed to plant a campus somewhere. And it was what is considered to be a mega church. Thousands and thousands of people each week came to this church. And then all of a sudden, Francis Chan says, I gotta leave. And he gets his family. He's got like seven or 8,000 children. He's got a lot, of, a lot of kids, and I think they're all girls. And he and his wife and all their children walk away from a megachurch where he is making big bucks. He's written numerous books. Life is good, but he said, God had called me to leave. And so he took his family, and they went to the Philippines for a while, and then they went to India for a while, and then they went to uh, Hong Kong, and he says, I thought we were going to live in Hong Kong for the rest of our life. And he said, people kept contacting, hey, we want you to come speak, and he said, I would go speak at places, but we found that we were so dependent on God and not dependent on ourselves anymore, and that's right where we wanted to be. But no one understood why he did that. To this day, people are asking, you are, you are a mega church pastor. You started this church in your house. And now, you know, it's, it was one of the largest churches in the United States. And you just walked away from it. How could you do that? Why would you do that? And he said, because God told me to. And everyone else that hears that, including myself, goes, I just don't get it. But God didn't tell me to move. He told Francis to move. And as he and his family are in Hong Kong starting their new life, He says, I think everything's going great. And all of a sudden, God says, oh, by the way, it's time for you to go back to the United States. And he looks to his wife and he says, "Uh, God's called us to go back to the United States. And the family was just, they were mortified. They didn't want to come back. They enjoyed being a family like that so much. But he said, God's called us, and now they're in San Francisco. And his ministry now as he walks along the streets of San Francisco speaking to people, developing relationships with people. He started a church again in his house. And it's all the craziest thought that because God spoke to him, he's finally he says, I finally feel like I'm doing what God's called me to do. Yet no one else understands it. Same thing had to be true with Noah. As Noah is building this ark, no one understands what it's about because God has spoken to him about it. God spoke to him because, as we saw in verse 8, God had found favor in him. And in, in verse 22, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded. I would imagine the majority of you sitting here at some point, God has convicted you over something. He has spoken to your heart about something. You have made a commitment to God at some point, and at some point you've fallen away from it. The reason I can say that I believe that has happened to everyone in here is because it's happened to me as well. I would not stand before you and pretend to be something that I'm not. I'm the worst sinner in this whole room. I'm a horrible Christian majority of the time, but God's grace is sufficient and God's mercy is new and he gives us what we need to become better if we choose to truly become better. But it says that Noah did everything God had commanded. He built that ark. He put pitch on the inside and the outside. He collected the animals. He got all of his family together. He collected the food, and they sat there and waited. And it said that he was 600 years old, and the flood started. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was inside this ark. And I couldn't imagine, this is not a trip out on the Coosa. This is out in the middle of what would be the world flooded. And it's not a vacation. I mean, that that ship has to be going from side to side. The ark has to be cast everywhere. The animals, I'm sure, just at some point are going berserk. Why didn't the lions eat the lambs? Because God chose for it not to happen. Why did the ark not sink? Because God chose for it not to happen. Why did things go the way that it should go? I think part of it is because Noah did exactly what God told him to do. What has God told you to do? I would be willing to bet that God has not told you to become the greatest social person in your school. I would be willing to bet that God has not told you to be fake in front of everyone so you would be accepted by everyone. But I would also be willing to bet at some point God has called you to take a stand for something you should the question is, Is are you willing to take that stand? Are you willing to be a rebel? Are you gonna cower down and do what everyone else does? The only example that I would give you is a testimony of my life. For years, my life was wrapped around becoming the best in anything I could do and to make sure everyone looked at me like I was something special. God got a hold of my heart. And there was this thing that people used to do back in the 80s and it was called cruising. And people would waste their parents' gas money driving through Clinton to just look at people and go, So, That's pretty much the extent of it. Every once in a while, you'd pull over and talk to somebody and go, Sup? No, what's up? All right, gotta go, go. That'd be about the extent of it. And we were doing that one night, and I pulled into where all of my friends were, and I throw out the air quotations because as we've been talking to our athletes this week, you know. What are our true friends? And I pull in where all these friends are, and this good old boy, as I've told you before, I was friends with everybody at school. This good old boy walks up, hey, Ken, we're going to Oak Tree, man, come on. Oak Tree was a place where everybody went to party. And I said, nah, man, I ain't gonna do that. Oh, come on, Kenny, you know you want to go. I said, nah, I really don't. He said, what's wrong with you? I said, man, I gave my life to Jesus last week. Oh, and I didn't hear from any of those people. Again, what is hilarious is I've run into numerous people a lot of those people since then. Some of them have actually been in our church several times. And as I walk up to them, there's one of them, and if, I'm not going to call names, but he would walk up and go, man, who would have thought 30-something years ago that we would be where we are today? He said, I never will forget that night out there in front of Edwards Jewelers. You said, no, nah, I gave my life to Jesus. I would love to tell you since that moment that I've never fallen back into let me be what everyone else is. But my heart's desire is to not be what everyone else is. My heart's desire is to be what God's created me to be. And I know that it's easy for me because I'm old now. But I can tell you that social pressure is just as real in adults as it is in teenagers. The biggest difference now is we got money. We can do it if we want to. But at some point we have to decide, am I doing this to please myself? Am I doing this to please others? Or am I living my life to please God? That's what being a rebel is is doing whatever you can to please God. And what that means is the world's going to look at you just like they looked at Noah, just like they looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't understand why they stood for what they stood for. But I would be willing to bet after those three came out of the fire, after Noah's family, after they hit ground and things dried out, they came to a better understanding of why it was so important for that person to be what they were. At some point, God's going to shine through you if you're willing to allow Him to. And He can change what the world is. It might not be the world as in global. It might be the world of Crossroads. It might be the world of the ninth grade. It might be the world of junior high school. It might be the world of your family. But if you're willing to stand for God and to rebel against what the rest of the world says, at some point, God's going to bless that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us through our social media. Go to KennyCrossroads.com, and you can find all our places where you can get in contact with us. Or feel free to drop by sometime. Meet us at West End Baptist Church, Clanton, Alabama, or drop by on a Wednesday night at Crossroads, which is on the campus of West End Baptist Church. Love to hear from you. Love to just see what you're getting from this. And as always, thank you for being a part of Crossroads.